You are listening to Inspirado Projecto. Get ready. It's working. Good, good, good. We're oh, here. I, I put up a little. We are earlier. here. We are here. We're at uh, <laughs> LA Grip Studios. LA Grip is uh, one of our sponsors, and they've donated this space to us. K Chung Radio has has donated these uh, these microphones to us, so we can make this possible. Uh, and uh, I am with Inspirado Projecto Podcast and Inspirado Projecto Radio. We have Maria Humphreys here with the uh, Strong Body, Strong Soul Podcast. Um, so excited. Lunchtime is over. If you you got to see uh, Lunchtime is Over, which is, uh, we're going get, to all get into that crazy stuff later. You absolutely have to see it right now. Cut right now. Passage. We'll be here. We'll be here. You can come back. And, uh, <laughs> as the earth turns, right? That's right. As Ed the Hartman. earth turns. There's Ed. So, uh, so okay, tell us, tell us about your movie about As the Earth Turns. Oh, wow. Well, uh, I got uh, hired to score a film. I teach percussion up in Seattle, and the uh, mother of a student that I taught started taking lessons anyway. She saw that I also composed films. She became uh, involved in the film estate of a director, Richard H. Lyford, who was um, alive from 1917 to 1985, and that's her great uncle. And she asked me if I'd be interested in scoring a film that had never been released. And I said, sure. So I did. And uh, yada, 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 I got, became co-producer. It's been in 102 festivals, selections, and it's won 115 awards, nominations. I've gotten 29 best scores. Wow. Um, and we have, I've been, it's been all over the world. So it's a really unique film. It'll be at Kapow. Tonight at 5 o'clock in the 5 o'clock block, um, and Kapow was very nice to kind of work around my schedule coming down here from Seattle. So I appreciate Thank that Thank you for coming much. all the way from Seattle. Yes, you It's bet. always exciting when I come across these filmmakers who are coming across from all parts of the globe. Yeah. You know, yeah. whether it's even if it's just local filmmakers making time to come out here and see the movies or see other people's movies, too. Well, anytime I can meet other filmmakers, I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm also working on a documentary about him now, and... Uh, I've scored a couple of other fragments that he has. And I'm actually seriously now pitching a biopic about the director. And I have some very interesting people that are interested. So who knows where that's going to go. So are we going to see like the making of the movie within that movie kind of thing? You see him making the Maybe. Uh, well, the, the, doc, the mini doc I'm doing is just kind of bare bones about what, who he was. Because he made, first of all, he made this film in 1938. He was 20 years old when he wow. finished this film. Yeah, and he used 16 millimeter. Uh, he developed his own film. Uh, the last scene is kind of a surprise in itself. Uh, he had a crew. He had already done nine films by this point. Wow. Uh, and he had written 58 stage and screenplays, so he's very prolific. He got hired by Disney because of some experiments he did with sound in 16 millimeter that nobody had ever done with dual turntable DJ service, synchronized to the projector. Anyway, it goes on. You can see why a documentary is in order. He got hired by Disney. He worked on Fantasia, Dumbo, and Pinocchio. Mm. Uh, and then he uh, got drafted. Disney handed him his drafting papers uh, personally. Uh, he shot for the Army Air Forces, did some classified work. Uh, came back and was an independent. Uh, wound up working with Robert Snyder on a Michelangelo documentary that won the first Academy Award for documentaries. So he was director and editor on that. Um, and then he went back, worked for Disney, a little bit of that. But it's a little bit of a my brilliant career situation where he did this all incredible strong narrative work early on, kind of like many of us do in high school. I mean, I, the irony for me, there's an interesting parallel here because 
when I was in junior and high school, I did Super 8 filmmaking. And if I had not have gone into music, I would have absolutely headed the other direction to Cal Arts from Chicago and, and taken film. And I had some interesting contacts out here. So I'm now in my, uh, you know, third act, as we say, and coming back to filmmaking. <laughs> so, that's I mean, great. Anyway, that's great. so it's been full circle for me. But I'm very excited that's about incredible. it. incredible. Everything yeah. happens for a awesome. reason. Yes. Now, Definitely. do... Uh, can we see like his other movies? Are they available to be seen like, no. anywhere out there? <laughs> well, the films he did for other people. He did a lot of documentary work uh, for you know different companies over the years. And some of his stuff, he did stuff for uh, Aramco, <laughs> as we all know, uh, Saudi Arabian oil company. But he, he shot some interesting documentaries in uh, Saudi Arabia, one about, about the tsetse fly and one about water conservation. And those probably saved more lives than anything he did. Wow. Uh, Anyway, uh, so he, he did a lot of, there's a, some things like that hiding on, you know, videos and uh, archive sites and things like that. All of these early films have pretty much vanished. How we even got a hold of this was uh, there was a company called Something Weird, kind of does exploitation videos. And they're based in Seattle. And a couple of very interesting film archivists and uh, through the f classic horror film board. This gets pretty convoluted. Anyway, uh, they found a couple of scenes in a particular horror, Halloween horror DVD. And uh, that got people interested in that. They got a hold of my co-producer, the great niece of the director. Anyway, it all kind of came full circle there. And I'm now working with those guys, collecting contacts to see what we can do to, to bring more out. The two scenes that were in there, we actually got the 16 millimeter finally. I was able to connect with the Something Weird company before they evolve into something else and got the footage that I, and I just mixed those scores uh, last week. So those are gonna be part of a new package. Our goal with this will be to have, this is a 45 minute film uh, that It was probably longer, but this was a definitive cut, and we have reasons to believe that. I think we're going to add these a scene fragment, which was another 11 or 12 minutes, a mini-doc, maybe 15 minutes. Now we have a nice little distribution package. And there is some interest from some networks um, as well. So I'm, I'm hopeful by 2020 this thing moves to new levels. Yeah. I'm always a big fan of like the archives. You, know, you just dig them out of the archive. Oh, just oh, yeah. found, discovered from the archives. Right. Right. Into the vaults, into the files. And well, what's this now? It's something right. that nobody would have even been able to see had you not had a detective like this diving deeply in there and go, yes. okay, well, let's, where is this stuff? Yes. I mean, my question for you is, was the film footage from Seattle, the area Yes. There? Because he, I've been he, on a haunted Seattle tour. You could do a whole thing. Where are well, the yeah, sites there are amazing. There's a link to everything here. Yes. He, he, uh, <laughs> I, I've spent a year on this, so my brain has exploded on it. Uh, he, he, yeah, he was born in Seattle. Okay. Uh, and, uh, we, and in fact, we did our uh, opening uh, private screening at the Museum of Flight there because some of the footage was shot at the Boeing airfield where that is. Okay. Uh, in fact, they used airplanes and things like that. They knew that Boeing's, and that and this is in the back in the 30s. Uh, we did a, a really nice festival screening at Seattle International Film Festival, huge festival, four weeks long, one of the largest in the world. And they put us in the Egyptian Theater, which was a Mason Hall from 1915. Which is haunted. Wow, <laughs> and we were hoping for a visitation. Oh, that yes. would have been great. Wow. Yes. I was just I was climbing out of the screen. <laughs> we gotta do a meditation. <laughs> and, I, and, and I and I was Give here. Yeah. I, no, yeah. 
I was here last week for IndieX. We had a neat screening at Raleigh, and I stayed at the Hollywood Historic Hotel, which is also haunted. Mm -hmm. I was hoping Love to say it. hello to Richard. I did find out that Richard was never buried anywhere. He was cremated and shot out of a cannon in Fort I love Warden. It. Hunter S. Thompson style. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Just found that out. Yeah. Anyway, wow. so, yeah. You can see why this is ripe for a biopic. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So why don't you tell us about Passage? Now, you acted in Passage, right? You acted I in did, Passage. Did I you, did. Did you direct it as well? No, 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 no. Um, I, I have, so I directed Chroma 46 also in, and shot, um, also in the Topsy Turvy block. Passage, I was actually at a, um, a convention and just happened, I was with my mentor and we were supposed to go get drinks and this director I'd worked with before came out and was like, you, uh, you, you're an actor, can you cold read? And I was like, Yes, I'm an actor. I can cold read. She's like, come with me. Did not tell me uh, anything other than the actress was that was supposed to do the stage reading was stuck in traffic. It had been like the third actress to play, to be booked for this part. Um, so she goes, here's the writer. Talk. And, and we're going to go in like five minutes. And the writer, Hilary Esquina, who's actually flying in tonight from uh, Virginia, uh, she... I asked a couple questions. I was like, okay, I know nothing about this. At this point, I didn't even know I was reading the lead. Um, but she's like, I said, what are there, are there any pivotal changes that I have to know for the audience? She's like, yes, on this page, this thing happens. And on this page, this thing happens. And she just knew her world. And it's a sci-fi world. So it's the idea of, um, it's a paranormal agent of a soldier who's had a near-death experience. It's Ali Prater, and that's who I play. Um, and from that near-death experience, she gains power. She can interact with the electromagnetic radiation field, so she's got some ghosting that she does, so maybe <laughs> in, a, in a parallel world. Um, but yeah, uh, and on top of that, she's also a mother and a wife. Um, and so there's there's great elements. And for Hillary, it was really important uh, to have positive representation of queer uh, families on the screen. So Ali is married to a woman. Um, and needless to say, jump into this... Uh, uh, the stage reading, and it was with someone I had worked with, Nicole Payson. I had worked with her years before, uh, also opposite each other in a romantic situation. And, uh, yeah, I guess they really liked the stage reading. And then there we were six months later shooting in Richmond, Virginia. We shot in, like, some cemeteries. And just, I mean, it was so beautiful out there um, under some old, like, train tracks and everything. Um, and, yeah, and so now it's full circle and... It's technically it's its premiere tonight, so at Capella, oh, which great. is really exciting. Wow, yeah, that's awesome. yeah. amazing. Or not tonight. I'm sorry, on oh, Thursday at two thirty. I always get excited when I see filmmakers being able to like see their project for the very first time yeah. up on the screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you yeah. got otherwise it's a laptop. It's like, you know you got oh, your headphones yeah. on and everything, and then be able to see it up on there, and then you hear all the sounds coming around. Oh yeah. So Shannon, what you're in one film, mm -hmm. and then you're the director of another film. Mm -hmm. What are the yeah. titles again? Uh, Chroma Forty Six and uh, Passage. So Passage is the one you directed. No. Passage, Passage is the one about paranormal entities. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then Chroma 46 is actually uh, my production partner. Um, she's uh, does a lot of the writing. So Chroma 46 is essentially about DNA testing um, and, and the mishaps that can happen It's like a big thing all that. of a sudden, right? Everybody be like, oh, I want to know my ancestry. My, uh, it's you know. huge because we yeah. all want to like, we want to be something a little different, which is so crazy to think full circle that before it was like, yeah, I'm nothing but. And now it's like, what am I that makes me unique? Oh, right. right. And we're giving it away. And we're just to the companies to and test us. And specifically yes. giving yes. it to the government who as exactly. companies are now getting the right to take that information and just use it in their in investigations. In any way that and they want. And we have lost the camera. <laughs> oh. Sorry. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> That's because the government's like, no. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> the information stays here. The audio is better. Oh, sorry. Is it still no, streaming? Good. 
Yeah, but I need to flip it. There's something wrong with the screen. <laughs> the good news is the podcast. There is you still go. On. Yes. Yeah. Oh, is, it, but is it still live? Chris, yeah, alive, it's a couple it's seconds behind. It's kind of funny. There you but, go. Uh, I, by accident, the screen is flipped, so I, that's why I was oh. trying to turn it around. Well. Technical issues, people. We'll be right back. Yeah. So for promo six, uh, 46, how long did it take How long did it take for you to uh, write that? Um, so uh, Ashley Schlees had written it. So in uh, November, they were doing a sale on Ancestry DNA, and I had to get in on this. A sale. And, a sale, right? Oh. Because I grew up, um, and I don't know if any of you guys can relate with this, but I grew up uh, ha- having family in like the Bible Belt and areas and always hearing stories about we have Native American ancestry and all of this. Well, as my family is getting older, and my grandmother had some dementia that it was you know things th- that happen and nobody remembers telling me this no one in my family remembers although we've got lineage and things that would make sense they're like well I didn't say that well I didn't say so I'm like forget it I'm just gonna take this test which prompted my friend to write my production partner and friend to write the uh, the script which she wrote in a weekend because her her mom wanted to do it same reasoning you oh, know, wow. similar things but her father doesn't because you know selling your DNA and all that so she writes the script, and it's great. Like, off the bat, I'm like, this is going to be fun. We're going to do this. But we're busy people, and so jump ahead, and they catch the Golden State Killer, uh, or they, they believe they've caught the Golden State Killer, Joseph uh, D'Angelo. What is that? I don't even know what that is. So this is a gentleman who uh, raped at least, they think, at least 50 people. He's got different names because uh, he moved. He started in Sacramento. He was a former Navy officer. He then... Um, uh, became a cop. He was a disgruntled cop, and <laughs> come to find out, and he went on a, a robbery, rape, and murder spree. So it started with Whoa. just rape and robbery, just that's terrifying, um, and then it progressed to murder. Like it just elevated over time, and for fifty years he terrified. So he was the Golden State Killer. He was also the East Side rapist, um, the Dark. There's something Dark Knight, something, um, and the way that they found him, it's fascinating. I got chills. Um, they'd been, there was one detective, there were two detectives, a male and a female who followed it for years, but then the actual, uh, detective that pushed it, a couple things happened, sorry. One, one of the rape victims' brothers started, he pushed and lobbied for Prop 69, which is the data collection of all criminals, um, for DNA. So he pushed that. Uh, because of that, and then all of this testing and everything, they were able to find, they generated a list of a thousand suspects. And they, they spent four months tracking, they started back in the 1800s with great, great, great grandfather of this killer. And they started tracing ancestry and family lineage Whoa. and all this. And out of a thousand, they found, out of a thousand viable options of this variation of this tree, they found two suspects. And one was Joseph, who wow. was a disgruntled cop and who had bought two oh guns during one of the, because um, there were ebbs and flows of these murders. Mm-hmm. So he had bought two guns during one of the flows. And that's true. It's, this is a true This is all true yes, story. Which is fascinating because there you have it, a good reason to have the DNA testing. It is. And wow. there's yeah. pros and cons to yeah. each. So when that all came out, we were like, well, now we've got to make this movie. Yeah. Because, and we made this movie a crew of three people. So we had myself shooting and, uh, uh, shooting and directing. Dalmar Montgomery, who's an amazing, he actually won a, an award for uh, sound design for this one, um, for Chromo. And then uh, we had one of the actresses jumped in as first AC. So this was never supposed to like make festival runs. This was just supposed to be, this is our statement on DNA, on, on you know. But it just, it turned out so well, and we were so proud of it, the actors and the performances, and it does say something. So we started submitting it, and uh, we've got, this will be 
our second to the last. We have one more festival in October that we just found out about, oh, and then cool. we'll be releasing wow. it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Wow. How long wow. is the film? Uh, Chromo 46 is 14 minutes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very it's such a cool, cool. concept. Yeah. yeah, she's my, my production partner. It's like <laughs> it's like sli- slightly sci-fi, and yet it's totally it's totally exactly re- what's going exactly. on. Exactly, that's what makes yeah. it so good. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about your uh, your crazy. I mean, the whole the whole thing. I don't want to give any spoiler alert necessarily, but you it just it's never not any fighting going on. Wait, we're turning to what is your name? My oh, yeah, name sorry. is Bruce. What is your name? Bruce Maria. Oh, I'm Maria. Maria. So lunchtime is nice over. To meet you. Nice to meet you. We didn't officially uh, meet yet. So do, do you work? Do you work at a, at a job like that? And you're like, hey, this would be a perfect location to shoot at. Um, they were the the location I shot at was the warehouse of a former client. I used to do IT several years ago, and they were one of my clients. And um, how lunchtime is over started is I began taking a stunt class, not because I want to be a stunt person, oh. because I enjoy my spine roughly in the shape it's in now. But um, I was taking a stunt class because I have another project which I'm trying to develop into a series, and I'm a snob when it comes to fight choreography. I like action that you can follow. I like seeing the performers look like they're engaged as opposed to mm-hmm. hit starts, but then you cut to someone's back and you can clearly see it's somebody else. I, I really don't like bad fight choreography like that. So I started taking a class, and out of that class it became obvious we all needed footage. So originally we we're just going to get a camera and kind of like shoot a little something, but that's not going to look good. And also nobody wants to watch it because while stunt people are, care about how you take a hit or take a fall, your average person doesn't care. It's sort of like plumbers enjoy plumber jokes. <laughs> nobody else does. So I decided to build a framing device. I contacted my client, hey, can we shoot here? And it seemed like such a great classic story your blue collar versus white collar and it seemed to just work so um and then i decided to make it funny because once again the people watch it's very comedic and they fight yes (laughs) it's like a comedic fighting thing they're angry at each other but it's hilarious (laughs) the thing about it is the fighting itself in and of itself is not comedic or funny the fighting is taken very seriously you are to believe that we're hitting each other, we're hurting each other um, for a given value of hurt because it's more hurt like um, you would get in a cartoon. Uh-huh. Um, but it follows a story through this fight of the management fighting with warehouse workers over the idea that they want them to get off lunch. And <laughs> it's a whole concept, which is just brilliant. Yeah. It's like, lunchtime's over, buddy. No, yeah. it's not. It's aside from one line, it's a silent comedy. It's basically a silent comedy because. It seemed to me, for two reasons. One, we shot what should have been about four or five days worth of action in two days. And as a former stunt person, you know <laughs> that like, that is a lot of action to get done in a small period of time. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have time for anything, so we didn't record sound live. Just because... One, one more element. <laughs> that'd be one more element, and that would be an element that took us over the point that we could actually finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, then... Uh, only there's only one line and that's an actor and we that was done right at the top of the of the shoot um plus it's all about you know when you look at some of those great silent comedies it's all in the physical acting how you move how you portray things the emotion and i wanted to do that because you rarely get an opportunity to do that because most things are talking heads uh-huh. most people want to do a small little project and what you get is somebody in a room 
talking to each other with very little action because they can get that done without risking the project not being completed. So we're all going to beat you up after we've been talking. <laughs> if you're like anybody else in my life, that's the natural reaction. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, it was my, and I also, my main goal is not to be a director, but I wanted to have the opportunity to try to direct once. So I had wonderful stunt choreographer. Um, two of them actually. One's name was Tekla, and I'm sorry if I butcher your name because I will. Hatrova and her friend Katie O'Donovan. And they arranged the this long extended fight scene. We rehearsed it extensively. And then on shoot day, Katie was there to actually direct that action. Mm. I directed everything that was an emotional moment. Um, the emotional cues, the anything where there's not a fist going, I directed if there was a fist going, but there's a reaction, I directed what that reaction was supposed to be because it's telling a story. Um, and it's important to tell stories because in the end, the story is the most important thing in any piece. You're think the whole thing about this director, this documentary, it's the story of this through life without this like, you know, if it's just here's random bits of things this guy did, who cares? Mm -hmm. But right. the dr the driving, the DNA thing, mm -hmm. character builds. Mm -hmm. When you watch projects that you know, well that's neat, a bunch of crap happened, but why do that's I care? Why? Yeah. yeah. There's no story. Right. Or the story is lacking. Mm -hmm. So story is king. And even for something that is six minutes of people wailing on each other, <laughs> you need a good story to follow it through. Otherwise, around the two-minute mark, you're sort of like, I really should have peed. So what was the question? <laughs> How long I, is your film? Six oh, yeah. minutes and 36 seconds, including credits, which I'm very proud of. Excellent. And when is it playing? Um, it's playing in the past. Two days oh, ago. it happened on Saturday. So everybody come out last Saturday <laughs> at three o'clock. Doing a little time travel. Yeah. yeah, that's okay. If you're capable of doing it, use your DNA yeah. to <laughs> get back and um, come join us in the past hmm. where we did well. Excellent, excellent. So Maria, do, uh, yes. have you thought about making any screenplays or uh, directing or anything? No. You're just so prolific with creating media. I'm so surprised that you don't have. I think I could probably look back at the last two years and put something together. Well, absolutely, I, yeah. I do have a lives. book in my mind that oh, I'm gonna that I already have the title. Yes, and it just hasn't gotten out there yet. But I love it. But just like I was telling these guys before the interview here, my whole idea, the whole reason I started my podcast was because of energy and spirituality. Med and personal training, frankly, too, because I had both my knees replaced. So I'm all about modification. Modification, modification in anything. Next Diversity. Is arm, is that the next modification? Do you know my favorite superhero was Jamie Summers, of course. Oh, that's oh right. yes. Now so, I'm the bionic woman. I'm the bionic woman's face missing from her face. I just oh. need my ear next. Yes, yes, yes. And my dog, my German Shepherd. Yes. Um, but things guy. happen. Yeah. yeah, things happen throughout your whole life. And now I find myself, you know, I love laughing and I love bragging about people. That's why I've been really enjoying helping promote the Intergalactic thank Film you, Festival. You. Kapow! And I love it. Su such a great job. Like, oh, I love it. Out there in the streets. So much fun. But also, I mean, that variety and that diversity of content. Sitting here mm. with you three so gifted filmmakers 
and actors. It's just so amazing. Mm-hmm. Seriously, I've been following, okay, Kurt's example. He takes the podcast on his phone and he goes to crazy places, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, Jamaica on the cruise ship. Oh, you yeah. guys were talking about doing the games with the passengers. Oh, yeah. Doing the, oh, yeah. And you have to drink a beer and then oh, go yeah. through like oh, the whole, yeah. oh my God, ridiculous. Oh, yeah. So the other day I'm in the Honda dealership, right? Waiting for my my minivan to get work done. And I talked to this guy next to me, younger kid, and I told him I was going to be coming to the Intergalactic Film Festival, and I asked him to help me out with the homework because there are 180 movies. If I'm going to help promote it, what are these movies? Let's see what they are. So he got his computer out. He got the list, and I said, I'm going to give you the name of five films. You tell me which of these titles sound the most interesting to you so you can help me do my homework, and we'll click on it, see what the movie's about. Cool, right? First movie he picks, Shattered Dreams. He's like, ooh, that sounds like a good horror movie. So we click on it. Unscripted podcasting on the go, right? It's about sex trafficking. Wow. So right away, he's like, ooh, that got real really fast. Yeah. Right? So we talked about it a little bit. The main premise of the movie, like you're just saying, we don't want to just hear about sex trafficking or whatever the topic may be. The point of that film is to show that there's hope for the survivors of the sex trafficking. There's life after that. That's what their point is in that film. Mm. So then in this interview with this kid at the Honda dealership with the helpful Honda dealers, because <laughs> uh, they came in on the podcast too. Oh, yes, they did. But we were talking about other. Then we turned to funny stuff. And then Paranormal Dick was the favorite. <laughs> Because we got to some of the other titles, but I just did love you just that say paranormal dick. Oh yes, <laughs> I did. Yes, because sometimes you just need a normal dick. Yeah. <laughs> and so I had this guy. We're describing the poster art of Paranormal Dick. <laughs> you got to listen to the podcast to it see was his so explanation. Fun. It was so funny to, like, yeah. <laughs> to hear this this banter between them. Because we just... were just out of nowhere. We're picking these titles. Yeah. It was so funny. I started listening to that, and I did not realize that that was at a car dealership, which makes just the whole level of everything. Because you can, and that's the thing, like, we're in such a society now that we are so isolated and closed off. Like, I lived in New York and Japan before here. Uh You're constantly interacting with people. You're going to talk, you're going to bump in on a subway, a train, whatever, and we don't have that. But what a... What a fascinating conversation to have had at a car dealership. Yeah, well, and and yeah. we have our devices in our hand. Yeah. And thank you, Anchor.fm, for the ability it. to I podcast like mobile oh, like that. Because if I'm going to have my device in my hand, why not put the mic to the guy next to me? Let's have a conversation. Every person's an entire world. You yes. have no idea what the heck is hiding yes. in there until you keep exploring. And then all of a sudden that leads to another question. Definitely. And, you know, what I like to do is like when I find out that someone even gives a little tiny nonchalant answer to something, I go, ooh. There's a whole thing there. Tell me even more about that. Yes. Open up that door. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's so much fun. Yeah, it's awesome. Although the other day I did get in kind of a little bit of trouble because I was at a parade, okay, in Calabasas. My, my son is in the high school marching band. So we're at the parade, and this group of 15-year-old girls is standing there. <laughs> I said to them, same thing. Do you girls mind being on my podcast with me to talk about the Intergalactic Film Festival? Their parents were there. I said, is it okay if they talk on my podcast with me? I didn't take any names or photos. Same thing. They looked up on their phone some of the titles of the films here. Which one do you want to hear about? They're reading some of the smoke weed. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God. So we talked about that for a little bit, too. But you never know. Wanting to talk about weed? Surely not. They, they, They don't do that kind of thing. They assured me. 
on sure air. They, yes, in front yes. of their parents. <laughs> I want to swear to you, yes. mom, yes. dad, yes. that I've never even seen it in real life. I've just seen it on TV. Right. Yeah. So it was like totally not my thing well, to do. Two of the thing. girls had been to Amsterdam. Oh, because they the totally movie didn't do it. was about uh, smoke, smoke weed is about a guy traveling to Amsterdam. Oh. So the poster art is a bunch of smoke around this guy and stuff. So we talked about that a little bit. Mm. But the girls said, yeah, there's there's marijuana everywhere. Mm. But they don't do that. Yeah. So. so are we heading to a time where like everybody on the planet's going to have their own podcast simultaneously? It's getting to be that way. Would that? Be, I hope uh, not, though, because some technology, all but, of us do. But would that become? A entity at that point would there only be one podcast left yeah and it will be mine <laughs> <laughs> strong body strong soul <laughs> mine. <laughs> but it's the same thing with filmmaking i mean i'm sure you guys see obviously everyone shouldn't make a film either no everybody doesn't you know everybody has their own talent and it's okay to be honest about that too mm-hmm. Technology doesn't give you the ability to do... It, it gives you access to do something. It doesn't yes. give you the ability. So yeah. we walk exactly. Around, we walk around, as Chris is demonstrating, with the ability to put on a show at any moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The iPhone, yes. it's an amazing device. Yes. Most people... Not everybody can then come up with the content, come up with the driving, right. find like find the framing story, move it forward. Exactly. You need to have certain skills, and not everybody has them. It's yes. like, you know, back when you started doing music... It was an amazing endeavor that took a lot of tech, different technology and effort, all of which now can reside on a laptop that you can take with you. You can fully compose in a hotel room anywhere. You could leave here, go in your car, and compose right in the car. That's right. That doesn't yeah. mean you can make good music. That's right. You can make good right. music. You've got awards proving it, but not everybody well, can. Well, awards prove right. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, they prove that recognition from your out. peers, because yeah. it's true. <laughs> I, I would suggest considering, um, I, I, would, I wouldn't do that to yourself. Own the fact. Oh, that, I know. Yeah. I, I know. I, I just, I'm, like, on a podcast going yeah, out to the world. I know. Like, I know. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people who would like to make music. Not all of them can. They right. have the same tools you do, the same yeah. capacity, uh, the same technology to make it. Right. Yeah, oh, and, right. The, and the tools for scoring films have really evolved. So, And, in fact, I'm not sure I would have been a score composer early on because that would have taken a different set of tools that I wasn't equipped with at that point. I was writing music out of college, but I wasn't trying to score films. I think I would have become a film director, ironically, instead of that. But in the last 20 years, really, we've evolved to a point. In fact, this score, I don't think could have occurred even four or five years ago based on the tools that I have right now. Mm. The, there's certain technology that's evolved, certain types of computers. Everything's kind of working together much more seamlessly now. I just did a trailer for a filmmaker who lives up north from here, that I met through the Munich Film Festival. <laughs> and uh, and we didn't meet in person, we still haven't, but I did a trailer for him in a few days, and we're just sending things back and forth. So it's not just being able to do it, it's being able to sync it to the picture, mm-hmm. to send him all the files necessary for him to work. Well, and that's beautiful that too, you're yeah. collaborating across the that's globe, right. which is beautiful. Yes. Right? And the I love that yes. which yes. is so great. You don't have to be in the same room. Yeah. Yes. It's so cool. That's why podcasting's yeah. so great too. The turnaround on that kind of thing is really fast now because there's yeah. a time where you had to print off whatever it is you were doing. You needed to messenger it over wherever that was, right. and they'd have to listen. They'd have to get their response, send it back. 
And that would have taken, you know, a week turnaround, like two week turnaround. That now happens in hours. That's right. If not just minutes. And I, I, yeah. I've met my composer. I have had the same composer in all my projects. His name is Marcelo Quinones. If I mispronounce your names, I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> Marcelo, wonderful, brilliant. I've met him once to give him a t-shirt. Once. We were in the same room for five minutes at a <laughs> diner. Otherwise, wow. all of our interaction has been wow. email, phone. I, you know, I would send him a rough cut. He'd send me the music. We'd get notes would go back. New music came in, oftentimes within the same 24-hour period. Yeah. How did you find him? Um, years ago, when I was doing my very, very first um, production, which was a very small little 10-episode multi-camera sitcom web series, because uh, I don't do anything smaller, sane, um, <laughs> I think I found him on Craigslist of all places. Huh. And um, I was just looking for some stingers, and he sent me some stuff that he had made for another project, and it created this relationship. And he's created like this, all the music in Lunchtime is Over is from Marcello. Um, the stuff that I really love because I have a theme song is all the stuff out of my other project, Dark Spectre and Dark Spectre 2, is his. And it's brilliant. It is incredible. It's dramatic. So... So he's able to awesome. capture the mood that you're going for. Do you oh, give him yeah, yeah, notes yeah. of like, oh, I kind of want to give this kind of mood here or that? Sometimes, but for the most part, and this is the thing about finding the right, you, know, you find the right people to work with. It's a with. psychic ability. Possibly, if we were like, like, man, Marcelo, do you have psychic ability? That's a long distance and I feel you've been invading. Um, but he, he, um, everything's a story. Every element of a, a movie's story, the music, the sound, um, and you find people who get your style of what you're trying to say. And it's amazing how intuitive they can be. My sound designer's name is Vincent Finney. He actually does sound design on um, a lot of the DC Universe stuff. Uh, Titans, Swamp Thing. Oh, cool. To name a few things. Like, he does really, really good work. And, you know, I give him... He did Lunchtime is Over. So, Lunchtime is Over, he's, like, throwing stuff in that you wouldn't even think of. Like, um... When the boss walks past the like office and you hear some sound in the background, they're watching TV. They're screwing off. That's him. I didn't think that up. I hadn't. That didn't occur to me. That occurred to Vince. Yeah, he's right, right. Because right. he's a sound guy. Yeah, he's a sound guy. But he's like, and for him, he's seeing it the same way. Telling stories. I'm gonna yeah. keep saying telling stories because I can't emphasize it enough. But you know, you find the people who you connect to and That's who great. know how to relay your story better than you do. Cool. There, there's another evolution that's happening, and it's it's a very interesting one. It's a chicken or the egg scenario. Historically, movies have been shot first and music's been added later. <coughs> and that's classic. It works. There have been aberrations from that. John Williams did the yes. last scene from Close Encounters before it was done mm. because it wasn't shot yet. And I think that's why it has such a musical quality to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's a, a series of films, Koyana Squatsi is the first one, with Philip Glass and the director, and they were done evenly. Uh, and Glass is a regular straight, straight composer as well. Minimalist music, kind of repetitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, I'm starting to see more and more, and there's been a lot of chatter on Facebook through composers uh, talking about this, that we can cut film to music as easily as we can cut music to film. And there are a few directors starting to show up where they're asking me for music head. And I do licensing where I, I sell music to libraries and they get used in films all the time. Uh, in which case, they're 
might be source music coming out of a radio or something like that or off-screen band. But uh, you, can, you can actually work the other way around. The, you know, software is so easy. You're not cutting film like this guy did, literally cutting the, the film stock. You can move things around. And the, the director I was just working with on the trailer, he said he actually prefers to cut film to music as opposed yeah, to the other way around. That's how Lucas so, worked with Star Wars. Star Wars was yeah. like, Star Wars was in fact cut to temp music, which some of it was um, music from the planets, right. um, which you can hear that influence in John Williams anyway. Right. Uh, but um, it's even though it's becoming, it might be becoming a more um, standard thing. It's not necessarily no. Like, no. Ooh, there we go. A new thing people have been doing that no they have been exploring yeah. it but i i think that, that brings feel the difference yes. now i'm i i'm what i'm kind of thinking about is the technology of like iMovie i work with iMovie not being you know i work with logic which is a pro program iMovie is more of a consumer program mm -hmm. for me iMovie is comfortable yeah mm -hmm. uh, i like it but too. you know yeah. uh it works mm -hmm. uh i have limitations with it i'll probably move up but uh but it's very and i do a lot of music videos uh to showcase my music and i'm cutting all sorts of footage to that uh, and it's just, again, it's just cut and paste. You can move yeah. anything around. So I'm, I'm just waiting to see when projects start to occur where they're actually developed I identically at the same time between music and image. Mm. Uh, they'll be more experimental inevitably. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm really interested in that idea because, uh, in fact, this film, what I love about it is it's silent. So I'm not battling dialogue. Music is not this thing that just kind of goes underneath, dives under the dialogue and the sound effects. It is the emotion <laughs> of half of the film. There's a lot of emotion on the images, but it supports everything that's going on, and it's end-to-end. -end. Mm -hmm. So it's really fun to do silent film like that. They're not silent at all. Mm -hmm. I elected not to use any artificial special effects or sound effects. I wanted everything to be musical effects, so if there's, there's a lot of explosions. He did, used a lot of real explosive stuff in this thing, but I used regular percussive instruments to support those uh, images on there. And that's a whole different way to look. It comes out with as a much more artful film in my mind. I also didn't score it in a modern style. I do electronic stuff, and, and I've seen a lot of old, you know, films from the 20s or earlier that have modern electronic skills. And, and they can be really cool. They're really nice. But I always, I always like the idea of trying to mate the music to what's going on, just for me. I tend to mm -hmm. prefer that. Mm -hmm. So this was done in an earlier style. You mentioned the planets. This director did explore synchronization with 60 millimeter, and he mostly used old recordings, Edison recordings, things like that, of uh, planets and, and uh, you know, a few other major things. I didn't find out his choices until after I scored. I have some, some rumors of some choices now, but I think what I did is fairly close to what he had in mind, and that, that made me feel good. I, did, I didn't totally, you know, go off in another direction. And I, I did a 90-minute interview with his son in New York City, I was at a festival, and, he, and I have that on video, and, um, and he really kind of went through a lot of the information that I didn't know about that. So I feel close to the director in, in what I did. And, and, in fact, the son said he'd be very proud of all, the whole very thing. Cool. So And that, that's really helpful. Because mm -hmm. when you're getting into a project like this, producing something that's not yours initially, it's really psychologically challenging to go, am I qualified? Is this okay to do that? You're constantly asking yourself, what would he think of this? 
you know. And you wonder when, when you pass on and your stuff winds up somewhere, you're going to have the same questions. Mm-hmm. You know, like, <laughs> somebody's going to use it in something that you're, you know, whatever. But that's kind of how it works. <laughs> so I don't know. So since we're talking music, how did you find your composers? Uh, for Chroma 46, because we never intended it to be like an actual film festival or anything like that, uh, we did not. We <coughs> used li- li- licensing music. Oh, so cool. just pulled it and pulled what fit. Um, for that one, I think we used audio blocks. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that was that one. And then Passage, I don't know. The producer is the one that pulled everything, so I have no oh. idea. Hillary, yeah. Um, so I don't know about that one. But I have worked with composers before. Um, and to me, I mean, kind of to circle back, even to what we were all were talking about, that just the idea of that, you know, not everybody, everybody, who, because we have this technology that's so incredible, kind of speaking to where we're moving forward, and this, there's a new discussion right now happening because, um, you know, Princess Leia rest your soul um oh my goodness why am i drawing a blank on her name right now carrie 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 fisher Fisher. thank you um they have been recreating her right and Mm -hmm. would this be what she wanted (laughs) and all this and there's actually a whole law firm that's starting and and there is an ethical act and um there's lobbying that's happening for that because who owns the right to this if you have passed for a virtual image your virtual image and your and your future and Mm -hmm. if if let's say one of the i think it was the new york times that did the article but it was like let's say you yourself are you know in bankruptcy or whatever Mm -hmm. but your image is worth 10 million dollars so now i'm gonna take your image and i've got the rights to that what does that mean and so there is like it's such a a weird transition where we are because of ar and vr and 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 but back to this idea of for filmmaking and needing a composer and all that um you know for chromo my sound designer i can really speak to very much like you're saying the television in the background um he had this he does this effect when we're inside the character when we're sharing a very intimate moment with the character and it just it's this warble like this and i never would have thought to put it in there but it is so jarring and it in that moment i was like well no wonder he won an award you know um but this is, I always think of filmmaking as a choir. Like, yeah, you have a soloist who might really stand out, right, and be so phenomenal. But what we do when allowed to be our alto, our right. tenor, our baritone, all of that, our composer. Collaboration. Our, that collaboration, mm-hmm. that's what makes magic. That's what Definitely. gives you the chills. And, it's, and I think for everyone who is coming up in this digital age, in this technological age where you don't have to seek mentorship, you don't have to seek, and they don't really exist anymore, right? Like Apprentice and Shadowing, it's such a... Yes, they're starting back up, like Impact 3 or uh, Accelerator Impact and, um, you know, some of the, these women in film things that they're trying to, you know, support. But by not having that, you don't have anybody to check in with. You don't have anybody to gauge, and it becomes very me instead of, wait, this is a story, and everybody interprets the same story <clears throat> differently. Right. So what does that look like when you have a group? And to me, that's where magic really is. Right, and right, even, right. even on the musical side, I can play all the instruments myself that doesn't mean it's going to be a better performance of that yeah. i better be damn good at not just performing them but having the technology to reproduce them right. so i i now start looking at my orchestral scores when they're not performed by live musicians which they're not going to be most of the time because you, you don't have the budget for it mm. uh, i look at it as impressionistic painting as mm. opposed to reality painting and if i can create something that has the right essence of sounds as opposed to does that really sound like a a violin whatever i don't think that matters as much and i've proven this a number of times there was a there's a marching band tune i did that was in the blind side just as an off-screen marching band and i did that which much more 
uh, primitive equipment than I have now, just keyboards, digital recording, but it wasn't on screen. It wasn't through what we call a DAW, digital audio workstation. Uh, but because I performed it on these uh, keyboards live doing it, it has spirit to it. It has some, some drive. And I've tried to recreate that occasionally. One of the, the deadly problems I see with music composition as we move to computer-based as we stare at things, it's visual all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. It's very easy to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to turn it into that when it's an audio medium. So 